It's time. It's time. It's time for the hard-hitting analysis you won't find anywhere else. Here's former Super Bowl winning scout Brian Broaddus and Bobby Belt. 10, 5, victory! Cowboys win! This is Love of the Star. 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 Welcome to another edition of Love of the Star. I am Bobby Belt, Dallas Cowboys insider for 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, the flagship home of your Dallas Cowboys. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Brian Broaddus, former NFL uh, Super Bowl-winning NFL scout and co-host of the G-Bag Nation on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, uh, Monday through Friday, 2 to 7. Brian, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Robert. Thank you very much. Always uh, enjoy being with you. I say that a lot, and we've done a lot of podcasts uh, I, already. I, I, I take this the- uh, this uh, even for an off season. I, I could see why. Maybe we're taking advantage of nobody, everybody taking vacations and stuff like that. But no, I'm I'm excited. I, you know, because in a couple of weeks we'll, we're going to be in Oxnard, yep. and you and I are going to room together. I'm sure there'll be some nights talking about. Hey, what did you see? What do you think? Hey, I, I heard this from this guy. What is just so? I. I Probably not. I don't think we're going to get very much sleep in Oxnard because there'll be a lot of content uh, going back and forth and and trying to get it out on these podcasts. Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm really excited for it. And and I know you just said that uh, you know you feel like you're saying it a lot that you're happy to be uh, joining me. But I, I got to say that's good because I I know Brian, you're not always happy to be joining everybody that you join. So that's a, that's a good thing. I'll take that. You know. No, I'm always. I, you know, it's <laughs> funny, Bob. You say that it's. It's like when uh, if you listen to my uh, my show during the day, there's sometimes there's some people that make me pretty irritated, but <laughs> I do I do appreciate people that listen to my radio show, sure. but I do appreciate the fans that take part of this, and I really it means a lot, you know. And we're we're doing our best to you know in an off season to to bring you content to talk about some things, maybe get you a little bit of a better understanding of what we think going in. And then once we actually get on the practice fields, a lot of these things, a lot of these questions could be answered. And I, that's what I'm looking forward to the most things that we've talked about here the last several weeks. But then, you know, how true are they going into the season? And we'll be touching on a, a number of things here today uh, that, you know, involve training camp and questions heading into training camp. There's a lot of that in these questions today for the the final segment. Next segment, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of these guys that as much as we've talked about on the field, guys that need to grow and guys that need to progress, I think there are a few guys that it's absolutely critical that they progress off the field and in their maturation and as being professional football players. And so we'll talk about that next segment. But we're going to talk a little more broadly right now because Jeremy Fowler over at ESPN uh, does this poll every year of NFL executives, coaches, and players. Uh, I believe it's 50 people that he talks to. And he gets a top 10 positional ranking. So he goes through the quarterbacks, the addresses, everything like that. So we're going to go through the list today until we find a cowboy. And so far, uh, I believe he still has tight ends and uh, offensive tackles left to fill out. But otherwise, they've done every position. And we've gotten a cowboy, at least in the top 10 or an honorable mention, in every single position group except safety. Uh, So we'll cover everything except safety, tight end, and tackle to this point. The first group is the edge rushers, Brian. And I'll just run through the list until we get to a Cowboy. The top 10 is TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, 
Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Max Crosby at number five. That one hurts me personally. I was a big Max Crosby fan. Yeah, you were a Max back. Crosby fan. Uh, number six, Vaughn Miller. Number seven, Chandler Jones. Number eight, Brian Burns. Nine, Khalil Mack. Ten, Cameron Jordan. And then we get to the honorable mentions, which it's 11, Trey Hendrickson of the Bengals. 12, Chase Young of the Commanders. 13, Daniil Hunter of the Vikings. 14, Shaquille Barrett of the Buccaneers. And then we get to a Cowboy. Number 15, Demarcus Lawrence, and I'll read the blurb about him real quick. Lawrence made back-to-back Pro Bowls in 2017-18, but his sack production stalled, and he missed much of last season due to injury. Uh, There was an NFL defensive coach who said, I watched him closely because we thought he could be a potential cap cut. They use him all over the place. He's kind of like Clowney was in Houston, all over, super dynamic. If he stays healthy, there's a ton of production left. Uh, Joker plays super hard, king on the chessboard. Brian, you think 15 is about right for Demarcus Lawrence? Well, I think the problem you run into, Bobby, with that is that the coach or the evaluator mentioned the health. You know, that's going to be the biggest question. There, there's no um, – when you watch Tank Lawrence play, I've always said this about him. He's one of the most complete defensive ends you'll ever see. And when I mean complete, I'm talking about guys that play the run very well and guys that can rush the passer. And I think that he doesn't get nearly enough credit for that. Now, those years when he had the sacks, the sack numbers were uh, it were very high. You know, he could also play the run. And that's where I want to challenge the others that were listed ahead. How well are they? Are these most of these guys complete defensive ends? Are they just guys that rush the passer and get pressure and make money that way? I think the fact that Tank plays as a left defensive end tells you a lot about him because most NFL teams are right-handed when they run the ball, the way they run their plays, the way they set their formations. And so for him to play that left defensive end, I think that's a lot of point of attack plays. And so I've always been super impressed with with Tank Lawrence. Uh, I challenge anybody to watch him. Uh, when you feel like the sack numbers, the pressure numbers aren't there because there's all those other little things that he's able to do. He can even kick down inside and play as a reduced end, play over as a defensive tackle yep. that on that outside shoulder, three technique, that kind of stuff. So the fact that he can mix it up in there, rush from the edge, you can move him around. He's a really – football intelligence is very, very high for him too. He's really good at anticipating the snap count at times. He'll make a play. He'll take a gamble. But when he gambles, he usually finds a way to win. I'm a big Tank Lawrence fan. I can understand why the scouts and all the uh, evaluators put him in the top 15, but I also know because of the health they didn't put him in the top 10. Yeah, and he's a guy, like you mentioned, the sack production hasn't been there. I know that's something specifically that the Cowboys coaches have been trying to identify. Like, okay, where's the sack production? Why isn't Tank getting there? Because he's a good football player, so so how can we improve those sack numbers? And I know one of the things they're really trying to work on with him is they think he needs to develop an inside move. So he's he's been big on the cross chop for a lot of these years, but he's not a player who wins with speed around the edge typically. So in order for him to get to the quarterback quicker, I know that's one thing that Dan Quinn and the defensive coaches have looked at is like, let's try and get you to – you know, start to the outside, have kind of like a hop step back in and, and see if we can develop a move there. So I'll be interested. That'll be one thing I'll be watching in Oxnard is to see if we're noticing any different sort of inside pass rush moves with Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, the linebackers were day two, and you don't have to get very long into this list before you see a cowboy, Brian. Uh, we got number one, Darius Leonard of the Indianapolis Colts. 
And then it's number two, Micah Parsons, Dallas Cowboys. He was ranked as high as one by a lot of people. His lowest ranking was 10. I'd love Mm. to know who thinks he's the 10th best linebacker in the NFL. Uh, But one AFC scout called Micah Parsons a one percenter. And I think that's a great way to describe the type of talent that he is. No, outstanding, Bob. And, you know, and I'm interested to hear some of your thoughts about it. I know that, you know, here I am talking to the former scout guy, but you bring him up and all that. I'm interested. What what do you see with Micah Parsons that 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 maybe that our listeners would, you know, could get a, a clearer picture of what you've got? See, it's so funny to me that obviously Micah Parsons is an athletic freak. And I think that that's something that was the big discussion point around him when he was coming out was, look, he's got all these traits. But what kind of football instincts does he have? Um, you know, we, we didn't know what kind of a pass rusher he was going to be. But once it was clear he was going to have to pass rush, people were like, okay, well, is he just going to beat people with athleticism? But I think you've shown, like, he does as a pass rusher, like, he's got moves. And I don't know that he's always had those or he's just a quick learner. Um, and and you, when you hear people talk about it inside the building, it sounds like it's just he took to it really fast and was able to develop a lot of moves. Now, there, yeah, sure, there's sometimes... I think Washington last year was one game where you just see him and he rushes to the chest and he's so powerful and he can just bowl guys like Brandon Sheriff over. Uh, But I I was really impressed with how quickly he picked up pass rushing and just the natural instincts. So many talented football players have had their careers killed because they don't have instincts on the defensive side of the ball. One that always sticks out to me that I know the Cowboys kicked themselves with was Charles Tapper. They felt like Tapper, if he would have just had instincts, he would have been a really good football player. He also couldn't stay Mm -hmm. healthy. Uh, But that was some of the things that I was really impressed with about Mike Parsons is how quick a student he was and how natural his instincts were. He always had a good feel for where things were going. I think you absolutely nailed the player. I'll tell you another thing that I didn't feel like that he was great at, but there were some flashes where you were like, oh, he gets this. And that is some of the coverage skills. That is some of the things where, and, you know, he had to pass rush, which was absolutely a necessity for this defense. And he was very, very good at it. Where I felt like it, when you watched him play at Penn State, he was a really good downhill player, very physical. And I think that's where a lot of the moves and the disengages and things like that, that's what helps him in his pass rush. But I was surprised of how aware he was in coverage. And you know, there's some times where he might look a little bit uh, maybe not in the right place or, you know, seeing it the right way. But there were other times where, you know, you got a wheel route, switch route. He switches the coverage. He goes up the sidelines. He knocks the ball away. You know, those kinds of things. I I think that you, you, you talk about a guy that doesn't get a, enough credit for how well he can cover, too. So, we again, you talk about complete guys guys that can run downhill, guys that are physical tacklers. I think where he has to be a little careful at times is he can be a little too aggressive. Yeah. And you can take him out of his game where you send the lineman one way and then have the ball come back the other, and he could get maybe a step or two the wrong direction, but he could fight his way back. I think some people have taken advantage of some of his aggressiveness against him, but uh, he's becoming a more of a – a better player uh, of seeing those things early in the season where I felt like, man, he's out of position because he bit on that, that fake. And now it's a little bit more of a cleaner read for him. And he's not out of, out of that position as much as 
you thought he might for the for as young as he is. Yeah, and I, I think back. It's funny when you say that about uh, the over pursuit and and like uh, you know just being a little too over aggressive. I think back to that viral clip from Hard Knocks last year where. Leighton Vanderesh gave him kind of the veteran wisdom where he's like, yeah. I know you want to make every play, but you got to know which play is yours to make. And, right. and some people I think took that the wrong way to be like, Oh, Leighton Vanderesh doesn't want to try and play. It's like, no, he, he was talking about your responsibilities on defense and, and making sure that you were See, staying disciplined. Yeah. That's, I think that's some of the problems that Leighton Vanderesh had the last couple of years was, you know, dealing with Jalen Smith and Jalen Smith, you know, there was times where Leighton Vanderish was not only having to do his job, but he was having to do Jalen Smith's job. Uh, it, you know, Sean Lee's the same kind of guy back in the day. Sean Lee was always having to do someone else's job. So I, I think that's where I think that's where Leighton Vanderish was trying to give Parsons some advice. Yeah, and I think it was good advice. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. So actually, I think we're just going to hit the cornerback the last one on defense here. We'll do the offensive rankings uh, next show probably once we've got the complete list. I uh, talked too long. I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. We, I, I was glad we we touched on a lot of this, and I went a little long on some of this stuff too, but I'm, I'm glad we did because I think that's what people want to hear. Uh, last one here uh, before we transition topics, cornerbacks. And this one was was one that I think was going to be a little controversial for people and, and wondering where Trayvon Diggs was going to potentially fall. So here's the top 10. Jalen Ramsey, Marshawn Lattimore, Jair Alexander, Xavier Howard, J.C. Jackson, Denzel Ward, Patrick Sertan II, Marlon Humphrey, A.J. Terrell, then number 10, Trayvon Diggs. And in the write-up, it says Diggs was the toughest evaluation of the group. Uh, one NFC defensive coach said he's a boomer bust right now. I love his instincts, but if the cost is giving up a bunch of big plays, I don't love the interceptions. One AFC executive said, I actually think he'll get better because he can learn from all those chances he took. He's clearly got the ball skills. Brian, I know this is a big discussion that we have about the interceptions versus the chunk plays and everything like that. Uh, Do you think 10 is fair for Trayvon Diggs? You you named off really nine outstanding corners, and I think they've all got different skill sets. My hope is that Diggs, where some of these interceptions were because of freelance, And because of him coming off a receiver or his responsibility in order to go make a play, I hope that he never loses that ability. Uh, I I hope that's something that stays with him throughout his career. I would like to see Dan Quinn try and eliminate, though, those plays where it appears that he loses separation and then he's not driving on the ball or getting in position. I think by playing him in more man coverage – and then allowing him to be uh, a guy that gets that reach in on a receiver, kind of stops the route to position himself. I I think that that's where he's going to be outstanding. It's when he plays off and then the ball comes in front of him and he's not really interested. You know, Anthony Brown, say what you want about Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown will try and tackle the guy at the spot. I Diggs, I'm not saying is a bad tackler. I just think there's times where he really doesn't want to tackle. You know, he's like, you, know, you get one of the safeties to come over, the linebackers or somebody's coming over and he's kind of like hanging back waiting instead of like driving and making the tackle. And, and it's a six yard gain on a slant, but instead it ends up to be an 18 yard gain because they miss it. You know, he misses or he doesn't tackle and then the ball's up the field. So I'd like to see Dan Quinn play him in more press situations. And then because I think that will help him, the closer he can put him to the receiver, 
The more passes he can knock down, the more interceptions I think he can get. But it also helps him when the, the ball's caught that maybe he can he can get in the position to be a better tackler. Yeah, and I mean, we talk about Dan Quinn there, and we obviously know uh, Joe Witt Jr., the passing right. game coordinator. But I think it's also important to remember the guy coaching the corners, which is Al Harris. And Al Harris was never afraid of the contact and wasn't ever afraid. Never afraid. Of, never uh, afraid. Yeah, and that's – I think – and I'm going to be honest with you too. Keep an eye on uh, Anthony Brown. And I know he's not on your list there. And I know that Pro Football Focus had him as one of the top corners because metrics seem to favor him. There's you look at you know quarterback ratings and percentage of balls played and things like that. I, I could see, and you know, we talked about this the other day. I could see Anthony Brown having four to six interceptions. I know people have been they've listened to podcasts from the other day. Was like broadest really four to six. I'm like yeah. Yeah, he had three last year. You know, I, I think he could put himself in position the way he plays to get four and six, four to six interceptions this season. I really like there's a couple of guys I'm really buying. I'm buying Anthony Brown and I'm buying Dorrance Armstrong. Those are the two guys I'm really buying this year on the Cowboy defense. You're listening to The Love of the Star. The Love of the Star, of course, is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did going to transition over now to we've talked a lot about the guys that need to perform well on the field guys that you know you need a you need this guy to be great this year you need this guy to step up Uh, and and that's all in regard to on the field I think I think there's a an important discussion that needs to be had about guys that really need to step up off the field in the locker room uh, learning how to be a pro and I don't just mean you know be a good professional football player. I mean, like, know how to be a professional, um, how to handle yourself as a pro. And there are three names that I wanted to kick around with you and, and kind of talk about their future and look forward. And and it's it's that, you know, damn second round again, Brian, because yeah. these three names we're going to look at today, they're three of your last four second round picks. And I think the first one that we'll talk about, we'll just kind of go in chronological order. The first one is Tristan Hill. Tristan Hill, I think, enters the camp this year. He's on the bubble. He very well, this could be the end for him even before the season starts. Um, But, I mean, if he's going to be here, he's going to have to take a big step up in maturity that three straight defensive coordinators have not seen in him since he got here. No, you're absolutely right about that, Bob. And, you know, in that room, when you're arguing about players and it's close, say that he doesn't play to the level well, you'll probably move on, but say if it's close between two other guys, he really doesn't have a sponsor in that room. You know, everybody's, you know, everybody pins that pick on Rod Marinelli. The scouts will take, you know, they'll take their heat for that too. But you look at that and how, okay, how does a guy make the team? If, if in fact, it's just, his play is just okay. And I, I don't think that, He's got anybody in that room that's going to step up for him. So he's going to have to play three technique and play it well. And But what he can't afford is to 
all of a sudden you and I are standing at the fence and we look up and 72 is walking off the field, holding his bicep or something, you know, or holding, you know, is, you know, is walking off slow, you know, or he got rolled up on or something like that. He has got to find a way to stay healthy and just keep fighting through training camp and make that front office have to cut him, you know? And that's, that's kind of where I, I think with Tristan Hill is because he's talented enough. There's some quickness. There's some behind the line play. Uh, there's some, you know, there's some, there, there's some tools there, but he just hasn't done anything consistently enough to make you want to fight for him. How much of his issues or his inability to become the player they thought he could, how much of that just from people you talk to, how much of that do you think is about the maturity? Because I think that's a big part of this for them. I, I, you know what, he he was a guy that came in, and it's like, it's like his like he'd never he'd never been anywhere in his life. You know, I mean, it's like, oh wait, we have inactives. Oh, I don't get to play. I don't, you know, and it, you're you're just sort of like, okay, I'm 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 not saying that every young kid that comes into the NFL has everything down perfect but his awareness was just not there. And, you know, I, I look at him, he's got a strange body type too. I'm kind of thinking like, okay, are you going to get stronger? Are we going to lose some baby fat here? Are we going to, you know, be a, a thicker, sturdier player? And it really hasn't looked that way. You know, I'm, I'm not privy to going in the weight room every day and seeing how he works out. But physically, you could see some of these guys. I will say this. He is extremely quick, you know, but that's what it's going to take. It's going to take him being disruptive, uh, winning some one-on-one battles in camp, playing well in the preseason. He can't afford to miss two or three weeks with one of those injuries I was talking about. I think that just about every Cowboys fan is well aware at this point. They know it's not just chatter or anything else. They're well aware of the issues that Kelvin Joseph has and and his maturity. And I think that the Cowboys drafted Kelvin Joseph in 2021 with the plan that you are going to be a starter in 2022. I think that was what they had in mind when they picked him. And the maturity and the -the off-the-field issues have made it impossible for them to trust him enough to take the job from, I don't know, Jordan Lewis probably, maybe Anthony Brown, one of those guys. Um, I think that the, the Cowboys were well aware of the risks with Kelvin Joseph when they took him. Um, I, I, I think some of the stuff with Tristan Hill, they may tell you, uh, well, we didn't get the best info. Some people had, had vouched for him that we didn't. Do that. that was not the case with Kelvin Joseph. They were warned about Kelvin Joseph by plenty of people, and they need him. I mean, obviously, with with the story of, of being, you know, uh, somebody that Dallas police want to talk to in connection with a murder this offseason, uh, this is somebody who's got to grow up really fast. Yeah, Bob, I, I was, uh, you know, my school uh, is LSU and he started his career at LSU and I talked to several people about him and, you know, they, they said, hey, we love the kid. We love, you know, but availability about him, it wasn't always consistent. You know, uh, it, there would be times where they would want him to be involved and then he would be gone and they didn't know where he was. And I mean, it was just, there was, there was no really accountability for him at all. And they, my guys in Baton Rouge were like, listen, great kid, but trouble 
is always within arm's length. He goes, he's not always in trouble, but trouble is right there with him. And sometimes the decisions you make, the friends that you make, put you in bad situations. But when he left LSU and went to Kentucky, now I talk to guys at Kentucky, and they're like, listen, this guy wants to play when he wants to play. He doesn't want to play on our schedule. And they were glad that he was gone. You know, they, they were like, fine, move on. No, that, no, no problem here. Super, super, super talented guy. And Dan Quinn, you know, Dan kind of stuck it out there. Him, Will McClay, Mike McCarthy, they were all in Lexington, Kentucky for that workout. The Cowboys sent uh, uh, Jason Cohen, the, their attorney, to Baton Rouge uh, to find out information about the player. You know, they were in, they were curious that there were some things that they needed to know about. And they, you know, came back, obviously, and felt like that he was good enough to draft there in the second round. But this one's on Dan Quinn. This is on Will McClay. But it's on the player, too, because the player has got to find a way to put all these things behind him that's keeping him from being the type of player he can be. Kelvin Joseph, I, I again, I think the Cowboys were – we're well aware of that. It's almost like the, uh, you know, the the stereotype girlfriend in a movie with the bad yeah. boy falling for another bad boy, and like I can fix him. I'll fix this one. And and you know, coaches coaches love to believe that they can they can fix that guy. They can get the most out of him. And I just I have my doubts personally that they're ever going to get it out of Kelvin Joseph. I just I don't believe that's a guy they're ever going to get it out of. Well, he he's another one of these guys that he can't afford to miss any days. He can't be the guy that's standing next to you and I while we're watching practice or he's over there on the cords with Britt Brown. He needs to be practicing. He needs to have his, I'm going to say this, he needs to have his nose bloodied a little bit. You know, he needs to get in the battle and fight. And maybe these wide receivers right now won't be the best ones to fight against, but he needs to get in there and let people gain some confidence in him as a player because he's been super unreliable uh, right now as a player and then as a teammate uh, for, for a lot of these guys. And I know it's very early, but again, you want to talk about there, there's eyes wide open. The Cowboys came into their second round pick this year, Sam Williams with eyes yeah. wide open. And I don't know that we've talked enough about this. People obviously know about the, the, sexual battery charge from 2020 that he was in trouble with that that and I believe those charges were dropped um and so that that was put behind him but it was still something that you know was was something that the Cowboys and the rest of the NFL had to look into and I'll tell you this I know that the Cowboys and everybody else found that there were things that they were concerned with outside of that and not just legal things work ethic things uh maturity issues they had questions, and they they went for the guy anyway, and that's a guy that Dan Quinn has been very public about. This was my guy. This is the guy that I wanted. But I think that having seen what's happened with Tristan Hill, seen what's happened with Kelvin Joseph, I think the Cowboys need to be very, very careful about the way they handle Sam Williams. I, I totally agree with you, Bob. And and I I know talking to people with the Cowboys and at Mississippi about him, Everything you said is absolutely right. And that maybe this was a guy too that was kind of going to his uh you know his own beat. The own, you know, they would say what the going to his own beat of the drum, yep. his own drum. And, you know, they said, hey, he he could be a hard guy to he could be a hard guy to coach. 
He could be a hard guy to uh, to get to. That maybe you know he's one of those guys that might have all the answers. Yeah, you know, and and that's I think that's. But you know, you look at a D. You know, and here's another one. Here's another player from the Southeastern Conference. You know that that Dan Quinn. He went to you know Oxford, Mississippi. He worked this kid out. You know, he he knew that. Hey, I can't get this kid in the third, but I sure can try and fight for him in the second. And that just shows you how much sway that Dan Quinn has to be able to say, "Hey, we're you know I know I can't we can't get this guy in the third. We need him in the second. We'll make this happen." And this is Will making it happen for him again. But I'm willing to give this guy a chance because the play, the level of play, is very very good. He, he you know when you talk about those complete defensive ends against the run, against the pass. He does a great job. He really, really does. He knows how to rush, how deep to rush, how to come back, to retrace his steps, how to get in on the play. He's got the length. He's got the size. He's got everything you love in a defensive end. But does he really, really have the work ethic? You know, and I think that, you know, you and I have heard these types of things. You know, that's the question. Is he willing to pay the price to be great? And we'll see if – AD and Dan Quinn and those guys can get that out of him. Yeah, absolutely. Three very talented guys there. Tristan Hill, Kelvin Joseph, Sam Williams. You just, you hope that they can put it together off the field. Honestly, I think that's a big thing. The Cowboys are banking on. You're listening to the love of the star. Uh, Love of the star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And now it is time for our favorite part of the show where we hear from you. So we solicited for your Twitter questions once again, and we're, we're going to incorporate some of the ones that you guys asked here, and I'm going to let you guys know in advance. I also went back because we've been flooded with questions recently. I've grabbed some from the last couple episodes, too, where we just weren't able to get around to them, and I'm, I'm trying to you know get to as many of these as we can. Uh, so the first question we have here is uh, from one of our loyal listeners, Dr. Mark Klee. He's also a big Tolo listener to 105.3 The Fan. And uh, Dr. Mark has, I think, a really good question, specifically for something you've talked about, Brian. He says, you guys have talked about how Tyron is always getting rolled up by other linemen. Yeah. Is there Mm -hmm. something specifically that makes Tyron more vulnerable to that, or is that just bad luck? I think that's bad luck because a lot of times, and and it's just Tyron does a really nice job, Doc, of being able to keep his guy at the line of scrimmage or keep him. When he keeps guys wide, it kind of gets him away from that, from the clutter of what happens. But these linemen, when you got inside twists and all that, and passing guys and stuff, and all it takes is a defensive lineman or an offensive guard center to get knocked down and then fall behind him. And then you see him get bent back where they fall on his ankle you know, he's had some really, really bad luck when it comes to people being on the ground and then him maintaining his block, and then all of a sudden he gets bent back. And that's something that, 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 that he's had to deal with, but he's just so good at keeping his guy at the line, and then all of a sudden others around him start to fall apart, and they're on the ground, and then it's a problem. Can I throw out a rosy, sunshiny, optimistic, borderline conspiracy theory for you? Go ahead. Is it possible that that's been part of why they're bringing Tyler Smith along so slowly at guard? Is because this is a guy who hasn't been playing guard, and do they want to risk him getting in there, not having the proper footwork right away, and then tripping up and rolling up on Tyron Smith in offseason practices? I think that I think with Tyler Smith that I haven't seen him, you know, and they always – 
during practice, Bobby, you know, I'll be watching practice along the fence and someone will go, you know, stay up, stay up, stay off the ground, stay up. You know, you're like, okay, I get it. So, you know, it's always when it's like a young guy that gets tired in practice and stuff like that. But to your theory, I see Tyler Smith with a pretty good base, pretty powerful guy. So kind of powerful guys like Zach Martin, powerful guys, they don't get knocked on the ground very much. You know, they have that good solid base. So if if we get to practice and Tyler Smith is flopping around all over the place, then I'm going to look to you and I'm going to say, okay, I, your theory probably is going to work out here. But I, I'd like to believe that he that Tyler Smith is strong enough in his base to keep off the ground and maybe protect Tyron Smith here. We've got a question here. Connor Williams. Connor Williams was bad. That was saying Connor Williams. I go. Connor Williams was bad for Tyron Smith because of how he lacked power, and then you get knocked off balance, and you get knocked on the ground, and then now there's problems. That's that's the kind of issues that you have with Tyron Smith. That, I'm, I'm just trying to be a sunshiny optimistic. Maybe that's why they have Connor mm-hmm. McGovern there early. The, like, you know, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just trying to explain it away, Brian. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I, that's the first, <laughs> those, the first three practices. That's exactly what I'm going to focus on is uh, one of the many things is that left guard spot. I like this question here from JD. He says the Cowboys seem to have a few of those linebacker safety bodies, but no true backup to hooker at free safety. Is Tyler Coyle really the backup there or would they play Wilson and adjust coverage accordingly? Or is that a body to be added yet? I was really impressed recently by Tyler Coyle at he was, yeah, practices. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I'd never even really looked at his athletic testing. Pretty impressive. Six feet, yeah. 209, 33-inch arms, 44140. You've got a 39-inch vertical, 11-1 broad. And this is a guy who is a free safety who did 24 bench reps. So yeah. a really tremendous athlete, and I think it flashed in these practices. So that could be a case where Tyler Coyle could be in the mix for potentially a roster spot here. No, absolutely. And a lot of this is going to come down to we need to keep an eye on how Bones Fossil sets his special teams. Usually at practice, you know, when they go to special teams, it's everybody stand around and talk to their buddies and that kind of thing. We need to pay attention to who's playing uh personal protector who's playing at the uh, inside his blockers on the punt team, who are the flyers, you know, those kinds of things. If all of a sudden we look out there, number 31 is getting a lot of reps with on the kickoff team, on the punt team, on the punt return team and things like that, then the plan would be, I think, to give him the fair opportunity to see if he could be the backup free safety on this team. Greg Burnett asks, a wide receiver developing timing and rhythm with the quarterback is important. Brian mentioned that a veteran wide receiver may not be addressed until deeper into training camp. Yeah. Discuss how this might affect the effectiveness of a wide receiver the first few weeks when the boys need him the most. And this is a really interesting and good question, I think. Where It's a good question, You're yeah. looking at, hey, we need a receiver now until we get healthy. Well, if yeah. you're waiting until later and they don't have time for Dak to, to get in rhythm with them, that's why I think when we talked about receivers last week, that's why I think a – a good way to potentially monitor this and go, okay, who makes sense is find as, as little a learning curve as possible. And so that might mean finding somebody that these coaches are familiar with or, or players that are familiar with the scheme so that then the connection is one of the only things you have to worry about. No, you're right about that. And I, you know, I, I do believe the first week we're out there practice again, as we go through, you will see if the offense becomes very stagnant and has trouble moving and it appears the defense is winning every rep. We'll see the one-on-one stuff. You know, there's going to be a week to 10 days where Will McClay 
Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, Mike McCarthy, the staff is going to evaluate like we need a receiver now. You know, now maybe, you know, the, my hope is like your hope is that Washington steps up, but you don't need you just they can't afford to have any receivers get hurt. I mean, they've already got, you know, they've already got the situation where, you know, they're they're trying to get Michael Gallup well and, and hopefully they'll keep him off the PUP list you know, to start the season and all that. But somebody's going to have to step up, and all of a sudden, if they're, you know, the worst not the worst nightmare for an offensive coach is that you get a bunch of wide receivers, and then all of a sudden they're all banged up because of tight hamstrings, and they can't practice and all that. Now you're getting guys off the street, and Dak's trying to throw the guys off the street, and there's no continuity with the offense, and then you got Tampa Bay around the corner. You know, that's that that's just is a nightmare situation. I believe they will address it quicker than they will later, to be honest with you. Wayne Pimpton asks, can John Ridgway be what Brent Urban was supposed to be? Seems like that's the only real dart that they threw at bettering the run defense. I think Ridgway is absolutely somebody that they're hoping can step in and contribute in, in terms of stopping the run. I think they're also hoping for Quentin Bohanna to take a step up. But I think an interesting aspect to Ridgeway outside of just the run defense, we'll talk about that, but I do want to take the opportunity to say, I think they they really like what he's bringing to the culture here too and, and bringing to the locker room. I think that Ridgeway's a guy that, that they're really planning on being here for a while, but absolutely I think a big part of that's going to be his run defense. You watched him play at Arkansas. There were plenty of times where Southeastern Conference centers, he would play nose up on guys and just ragdoll centers and throw guys out of the way, you know, and he's a, he was a difficult guy to move. He's, he's a big, strong guy. And, you know, he, he makes his share of those plays right at the line of scrimmage. That's all you can ask for. You know, if he's a guy that can hold up blockers, allow Parsons, Van Der Esch, Cox, anybody else that's playing to run to the ball and those blockers don't get off that, that you would love that. But you watched him play at Arkansas. You understood very quickly how he was able, you know, to control the middle. There was some really outstanding nose tackles in this past draft. And I felt like that I, I know I had a third round grade on him myself because I felt like that he was a really that powerful player that can control the point of attack. And that's what you need in this day and age of football. At Astute Fanatic asks, what are the, and this is the kind of discussions we're getting into right now, guys, because we're, we're in the dead zone, all right? What are the way too early 2023 draft needs taken into consideration, foreseen cuts, trades, contract expirations? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Might be running back. Running back? You know, it, I, mean, well if you think, I mean, if you think about, I mean, you lose, if you lose, say, Zeke because of the contract situation, you maybe move on. Pollard with that situation as well. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing a position out there. I know you can immediately lose some guys along the way. You know, that that would be so you might how about cornerback? What's the situation? Yeah. With, I haven't looked at the, you know, with with you know, with Brown. I mean, is he in the last Brown, year of his deal, Brown, I believe? Brown is expiring. Him. Lewis will have one year left after this year. Yeah. And the yeah. guys behind him, you're not sure about Nashawn Wright yet. You're not sure about yeah. Kelvin Joseph. So I think corner's gonna be high up there. I think running back's a good one. And then I think they'll probably evaluate and go, where's the offensive line week? We need to figure that's, that out. That's where I, I, I would think that maybe the situation, because, you know, it's maybe too early to say that Josh Ball 
but I, I'm not hearing good things about Josh Ball. No. Uh, well, let's go. I, I'm interested to see. I thought there were some good practices that he had, but the very last one I saw him, he was not as good as he needed to be. I'm hopeful that a lot of these young guys after the OTAs and the minicamp, everybody else goes on vacation, but those young guys stay in town and work out. They get them in better shape. So my hope is when we get to Oxnard that you see that, well, let's go ball, you know, we'll see. But I, I, I think you're absolutely right about uh, what's going on with the offensive line. That could be, you know, that could maybe be at a couple spots. You never know what's going to happen at center. You kind of feel like they got a guy, you know, the left side guy with Tyler Smith and stuff like that. But, you know, maybe that's a maybe some other positions there as well. Brandon asks, uh, speaking about center, uh, Brandon asks, should we be speaking about Farniok more at a center guard role like Looney had? His tape last uh, against Philly last season was really strong. I know it's a small sample. Yeah. He did play impressive against Philadelphia. It was reserves, obviously, yeah. but played well against Philadelphia. I know they like his toughness. I know they like his work habits during the offseason. And when we talked to Joe Philbin during the draft show on DallasCowboys.com, I know Philbin had brought up, that was one of the people he highlighted, is like, that's a guy who's been in here working a lot. And so I think Fardingock very well could be part of their plans for the future. I think he'll be one of those guys that kind of surprises you. But again, I I look at, uh, you know, I I look at Tyler Biotish, and I think that Biotish is going to be one of those players that, 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 you know, he started poorly last season and then got better. I think he's a more confident player now. I'm never going to compare him to... Travis Frederick, but I will say I think he's a more confident player. I don't know he is physically big enough, but he's a good enough athlete. But I'm looking forward to the competition with Farniak and see if he, in fact, can push him for – I really do feel like that if they had to go for a backup, maybe for a backup center, I've heard some whispers about uh, about Connor McGovern getting some a lot more work at center. Yeah, so we'll see if that happens in, in Oxnard. Yeah, McGovern had has been taking some of these reps alongside uh, Biotish, Marcus Jones, uh, the second year guy out of Houston, and right. Matt Farniok. So they've been, they've definitely been trying to to workshop this and, and figure it out. So I mean, I think they'd like somebody to unseat Biotish. I just don't know that they have the guys on the roster right now to do yeah. it. And and so they're going to create competition where they can. But I think it's in all likelihood you're looking at Biotish. Well, yeah, and Alec Lindstrom was a guy. We I mean, yeah. he was not even a guy that did anything. And I I I know I had a. I think it was a fifth, sixth round grade on him coming out of Boston College. A little bit of an undersized guy, but we didn't see him at all no. uh, in OTAs or mini camps at all. Well, and remember, we've talked about this. The thing they feel like Biotish lacks is is the football IQ. Uh, not right. not that he's a, a de- but they want a high IQ quarterback of the offensive line. Undrafted free agent who potentially we should watch. We didn't see much of him out at these practices though. James Empey from BYU that they yeah. signed. That's a guy who that was his entire thrust, people talked about how smart he was. And so I think that that's somebody to at least consider. A couple more questions here, and then we'll wrap it up. JJ asking, and I think you've asked around on this, Brian, you should have, uh, I I think you have some insight. Are we underestimating how soon Michael Gallup will be available to the Cowboys this year? Yeah, and I can I can read verbatim, if I said that the right way, about (laughs) what what I was told. And because I I was, I mean, my own eyes were were showing – you know, we're showing me that Michael Gallup looked like he was getting ready to run the 55 meters in college. He was the you know, the way he bounced, the jumping up and down, the the alternating steps and things like that. And I, w- I was told that, you know, Gallup is, is doing very well, but the timetable likely the same. 
Okay, and then we were talking about one or two games potentially there. The, the thought is that they're hoping that we're close enough at the final cuts that he wants to keep him alive and not remain on pup. And but we'll have to see. So, you know, that's that's what you know, the, the pup list would make it. And I had to go back and I know we probably said this on the show. Yeah. The pup list is now four games and not six. Yeah. So if they if in fact he has to stay on pups, he'll be gone the four games. But the hope from the training staff is that they can keep him off pup, maybe carry him that week one, and then we'll see what happens in week two against Cincinnati. Last question here from Randall Walker at Randy Walker 21 with training camp coming soon. Can you share any fun stories from previous camps? I'll tell you my fun story. And it wasn't really a fun story. It was my first camp in Oxnard in 2019 where everybody's like, Oh, it's so nice. It's like high seventies or whatever. And nobody told me that that is the most blistering 70 degree sun ever. And so even though I'd put on some sunscreen, I ended up like wiping it off, I guess from sweating and I didn't reapply any. I have never been burned that bad. I looked like the new Texans helmet, the the yeah. bright red one. I, re- I remember this was like two years ago, yeah, twenty nineteen. Yeah, twenty nineteen. I remember. I remember you walking around. I and was being, brutal. Uh, yeah, like you looked like a grape. Uh, like it, you were it, kind of purplish red. It was bad yeah. enough that everybody I passed said something to me about it. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, like it was that noticeable. Brian, uh, here in the last minute, what's what's a, a fun story that stands out to you? You know, my, my favorite thing about camp is the interaction you have with other media members there too, you know, and we get to watch practice and, you know, we all kind of have ideas and you, I love the exchange of ideas of what people are seeing. I love the fact I'm going to get to room with you at, at, at camp and we can exchange ideas. Love working with your colleague, Jane Slater on stuff. You know, there's 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 so many things that involve and go around camp and, I love to be able to walk after practice to a, talk to a coach, talk to a scout. You get a Jerry Jones, you get a Will McClay, you get somebody, you know, to kind of fill you in. It's the best situation you could ever imagine to work and learn about a football team. And the weather, like you said, it's, it is warm. That sun, when it gets up, but when you're in the shade, it's kind of, kind of cold in that shade. But I, I do love the interaction that we have with all the other media members there. But the fact that you get to watch practice every day and evaluate that, that's the best time to me right there. It, this this job in the NFL, it'd be a great gig if you didn't have to play games. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you could just go out, you could draft, you could practice, we could go to Oxstar. Oh, hey, we look like a good team on paper. But uh, but you do have to play the games, and that's that's the fun thing about it. Once this journey starts, and we're, and we're really, really close, Bob. We are really, really close to being out there and getting this thing going. Right on the doorstep, and uh, we'll be out there in California, and we're going to try and make this as, as you know personal an experience for you guys as we can. We want you to feel like you're right out there with us, and so we'll do our best to accomplish that. Uh, for Brian Broadus, I am Bobby Belt. We appreciate you listening to The Love of the Star, and we will talk to you again next week.